Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Things Crime. I'm Jared, your host, and just excited to be with you again here. I I've got an, a fantastic guest, Elicio Medina. He works on the East Coast, and uh, we'll call him Ellie. But uh, yeah, he's a fantastic man. I've been following him on LinkedIn a little bit and just love some of his comments. He's an active police department and, uh, again, on the East Coast, but I'll, I'll let him introduce himself. But while we're here, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit that bell so that you never miss an episode. But uh, Ellie, hey, welcome to the program. I appreciate you coming on. And man, I, I, I can't tell you how excited I am about this discussion we're going to have. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here discussing what's presently going on, affecting big time our greatest nation, United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes up and down, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm a veteran, so I haven't served in law enforcement, but I did serve 14 years in the U.S. Army. And it's interesting, the camaraderie and all the similarities that we have with guys that are in the military and law enforcement. It's I, I see a lot of similarities. And so everybody in law enforcement, man, I, I my hat's off to you guys. I, I applaud what you do. In many ways, it really, it's sad, kind of, some of the things that's going on right now. And so that's why I wanted to bring you on to discuss it. So... But first, before we actually get into, especially the Memphis, what's going on in, in the, with the Memphis PD and, and that case there, why don't you just introduce yourself and talk about your career a little bit. What, what got you into law enforcement? Yeah, well, first of all, I was born in Dominican Republic, and then in my early years, I was raised in Puerto Rico. So part of my family, they were in a police department in Dominican Republic and some other ones in the military, and that is Dominican Air Force, of course. And then I was very interested in participating in that in the future. So when I moved to Dominican Republic, I love seeing the police officers. I love seeing the military. It was something that was like inherent. So I remember that when I when I became a green card holder and I was all enough, I went myself to a police station headquarters and I was like, hey, I want to join the police department. What? what what do I have to do? And I'm like, well, you have to be, you're a citizen. I'm like, I am, I am. And I pull up my green card. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah, this is, it's, no, but again, ignorant, you know, I didn't know about it. So you have to be a strong, as so he explained to me. So I waited. I'm like, wow, that was back in 1982, 83. However, by that time, I have already joined the Army Reserve. And uh, so I was so excited about it. So I couldn't wait until I became a U.S. citizen. And then I was in Puerto Rico, I was in college and everything. And then I joined the police department. But before that, before that, I would have moved to Miami and I had applied with Miami-Dade County and city of Miami Police Department. And I waited like a whole year for the first interview. And then my friends from Puerto Rico called me and told me, hey, we can get you in the police department here quickly to work in the governor's escort and everything. And I was so excited about it. So I moved back to Puerto Rico after a year and two months. And then it took me a little while, and then I joined the police department in Puerto Rico. And then after that, real quick, after some years there, I got involved into very serious stuff there. I was an undercover officer for like six months. Then I joined a tactical unit for the rest of my career there. And then I moved to the United States because I said, this is too bad. 
We had a lot of crime going on, 1,200 homicides in one year in Puerto Rico. Oh, it's like back in 1987, 88. And, and, and the 80s and 90s and in the U.S. was the same way. I mean, that's the, the 80s, especially was the height of homicides in New York when they yeah. got like 2,300. I was just talking to an NYPD officer and he was like, yeah, 80s and, and 90s in, the, in New York was a bloodbath. And so it sounds like Puerto Rico is pretty bad, too. Puerto Rico, I, I still call it the University of Crime in Puerto Rico. And it's very interesting. So after a while, I had to move out of there. Yeah, is it a lot better now? Well, yeah. But before, I mean, after that, then I moved to Milwaukee. Don't ask me why. I just wanted to get out of the United States, Puerto Rico. And then after a few years, then I joined the police department in Milwaukee. And then I, unfortunately, I got divorced and I wanted to be closer to my kids. We were here in Maryland and then I transferred over and I've been here for over 20, like almost 22 years. So I have a total, like almost 30 years in law enforcement. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I appreciate your service. Um, Thank you. I, I, I've been to the Dominican Republic and I'll tell you what, of all the beaches, I've been to Vietnam, I've been to all over the world. And usually I only get up 10 minutes at the beach, but Dominican <laughs> Republic beaches are like the finest white gorgeous sand I've ever seen in my life. And wow. But even Puerto Rico, to go mm -hmm. from the Caribbean to Wisconsin, <laughs> I can't think of more dramatic. Dominican Republic is, and, and Puerto Rico are some of the most beautiful weather anywhere in the world. And then you go to Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin's nice, but holy cow. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, I, I'm, I'm questioning your sanity, but <laughs> at, at least you got, got over to Maryland. So you have this long career. And now what, what are you doing there? I mean, what's your actual position and, and your specialty? Okay. I'm a senior police officer slash investigator. I work in an intelligence unit. So I've been doing gangs for over 16 years here, around here. So it's been a very good experience. I have been in El Salvador to train the police officer from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, 2017, 18, and 19, and to follow up on uh, crimes involving MS-13 and 18th Street Gang. And so I went there with the FBI who took me there, and then I took also some training from the gang aspect from these people there of work and knowledge. So, but that's what I've been doing for the last almost 17 years. Wow. Yeah, I've got a good friend that just retired from the Baltimore. He mm. was in the ERT. Supervisor for the FBI there in Baltimore, and okay. uh, yeah, he says the MS-13 activity up there is just crazy, and yep. the violence—it's yep. incredible the amount of violence that some of these, especially Hispanic <laughs> gangs, bring. It's—they're uh, ruthless, and man, just streaming up from our southern border. It's—I I don't think a lot of people understand the danger that that they bring with them. But it's pretty that is true. That is true. Especially with the open border for years and, and real quick, back when President Obama was president, he says that we had about 10,000 unaccompanied minors coming over to the United States. Well, we found out it was not 10,000. It was about 30,000. 10,000 is only for the East Coast, meaning Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., 10,000 only. And a lot of these kids with 10, 11 years old came into the United States with missions, okay, from the gangs, MS-13 and 18th Street. Just so you know, we found out about it. 
And gosh, it, it was crazy. So it's getting worse now, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, we have no idea who's coming across. And <laughs> exactly. I, I've, I've got really good friends that are down in Panama and along the border and that are, are reporting to this. And one in particular is a gentleman named Michael Yawn. He's a former special forces guy. And, and another one named Chuck Holton, who's a retired army ranger. And both of them are just, they're both saying, look, this is an invasion. These military age working men that are coming across in their twenties and teens, all of these guys, they may look like they're just normal. They want to just get a job. And a lot of them, a lot of them are, but there's infiltrated in those groups are MS-13. There are other gangs. There are, I mean, there's a lot of these guys coming across that they're unvetted. We have no idea who they are. A lot of them give false names anyway, and we're going to pay the price. And guys like you that are on the front line with the police, you're going to bear the brunt of it. And it's really sad. I mean, of course, the violence is initially going to be on, especially the the poor neighborhoods. And it's... uh, I, I mean, it's as bad. bad as it is now, it's, I, I think, I think we're all in, in for a major, major ride and it's going to be bad for a while till we, we can get this cleaned up. But yeah, Indeed. I, anyway, yeah, let's, yeah, we, we could talk about the gangs and stuff all day, but I, I really wanted to, to, to bring you on and talk about a little bit, the, the Memphis case. So tell me, first of all, when you heard and bef- this is before the video was released. But as an officer, when you heard about what happened in Memphis, what was your first reaction? Well, honestly, my first reaction was like, well, are we going to go through the same thing of George Floyd? And prior to that in Missouri, in which white officers were involved on it. And then a contact friend of mine told me they're not white. They're black officers. I'm like, Really? I said, well, that's even better, to be honest with you, and don't take me wrong, okay? Better in a sense that if it's a white officer against a, a black person, you go, that's going to make it worse in, with the protests all over around the United States. But at the same time, it was shocking because how many times in law enforcement we had black officers doing that? But the first thing I say was, like I tell my wife, Every time something happens, she's like, do you see what happened? These officers, they say, let's wait and let's not judge until we get the entire picture because the media is the number one enemy that we have. Put everything out there and then they don't fix it. They don't fix it. So I thought about it right away and I did not want to hesitate to judgment. That was my first thought on it. Yeah. Well, I, I felt the exact same way. Like, I, I don't know if you remember when we, all of our troops were in Iraq and it was kind of the height of the Iraq war and that the story, uh, Abu Dhabi prison, I guess, when they yeah. those soldiers were uh, mistreating all of their the prisoners and that just, just everything just blew up. And I was like, you know what? There always has to be some knucklehead. Yeah. Just, some idiot or group of, of people that are just like, really? And <laughs> it was also kind of funny. I was actually up in Milwaukee, a little tie there. So I, I, I sell what's called the MVAC system, and it's a DNA collection system. And, and I was up there with Hennepin County, and okay. I, I was talking to one of the deputies there, 
And this is right around when the George Floyd, the case was actually going to trial. And they were, they, I think it was the week prior to they, they were doing jury selection. And hmm. this deputy that I was talking to, he's like, you know, as if things don't get any worse, then you have someone from Milwaukee PD say, well, hold my beer. I'm going <laughs> to watch what, just watch what we do. We're going to screw up everything. So there's, there's always somebody. And a lot of times, even if they don't do it on, on purpose, it's just, you just got to look at them and you're like, really? I, whatever <laughs> entered into your brain that that would, you would think that that would be okay. And combine that with today's society. So I, I've been in corporate America for a long time. Okay. And one of the things that I learned from a district manager a long time ago is he said, look, Jared, everything you write, everything you say, especially if it's on video or something like that, he said, you have to assume that somebody is going to read that, that you don't want them to read. And he said, if you like, if you're saying something about somebody close to you, a coworker, a family member, something like that, and you would be embarrassed or it would be damaging if that person read that or heard that, then don't do it. Don't say it. And it's just amazing to me that so many people have not learned that. It's like, you can't do anything. And especially with all the, the cameras and stuff that we have in the big cities, you can't do anything nowadays without it being captured on somebody's cell phone. Exactly. It's crazy. You're talking about that Iraq time. I was, I was what, 2003, 2004. I was activated because I was here reserve and I was activated to go there. And then I heard about all that. It was always like paying attention. I was like, gosh, this is going to affect us more than, you know, I mean, every little thing that happened with a soldier or somebody, like you said, there's always someone, there's always one that's going to <laughs> that's going to give you a bad image. And I have to explain myself to my family, my friends, everybody about it. Say, do not believe everything like that. And that's not all of us. So the same thing happened with police officers, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that's super wise, though. And I tell all my friends and everybody the same thing. I'm like, look, no matter how sensational it sounds when they initially come out with it, you have to wait. And as hard as that is, say, look, you've got to just slow down and wait to see what all the details that come out. And like you said, the media, it, it drives me crazy. It's like they're, they're no. in such a rush. No. They're in such a rush to get the story out that a lot of times their facts are wrong. And oh, yeah. a lot of time their, their facts are incomplete. But as long as they're first, they don't care. Okay. It, like it, it can be front page news on the New York Times or the Washington Post or something like that. And then when it's wrong and they have to do a retraction, it's like on the 19th page or it's buried somewhere in 40 paragraphs down. And, and to me, it's just like, man, it's but I, I don't know if they just don't care or they just don't understand the damage that they can do to like police officers and the danger that they put them in when they do stuff like that. And their families as well. Because remember, we have our family. We're human beings. We're not Robocop. And, but remember, it's a competition. When you said before, who's the first one who's going to put the news out there? Who's going to get the more exciting news? And the worst thing, and I'm going to keep talking about it, once the truth is to be found, 
And it's contrary to whatever they say. They never, hardly ever, let me not say never, hardly ever you see them put him out there. Oh, unfortunately, we say this, but this is what happened indeed. And this is what, you know, oh, we apologize. No, no, we don't hear that. We don't hear that. The damage is done. Who cares? Yeah. So let's, let's, in that context, let's refer that to, again, what's going on in Memphis. So I have to imagine the level of shock that, I mean, all of my buddies that I know in law enforcement, they're, they're just like, holy crap, really? It's another one of those hold my beer moments. And a lot of them are just like, well, let's get ready, get the riot gear out. But then as more and more stories start coming out and more, and well, I mean, that was going on before the video was released. But once the video mm-hmm. was released and you saw the brutality of that, what, what was your thoughts yeah. then? Listen, uh, it's a jaw-dropping type of deal, okay? And I, right away, you know, we have a chat of uh, Dominican officers, including federal agents, ICE, and everything. And we were talking about a number of things, including the fact, and I was one of them that concluded that we are in a very bad transition, law enforcement. That's number one. We are living a crisis right now. It's affecting us tremendously. And then one of the things that we were saying, especially me, I was like, this is a Rodney King part two with the exception that somebody died. And again, I didn't want to rush into judgment, but what I told them was, especially before, but then after the the, the video was released, I say, guys, we got to get ready because in, in my station, in my, you know, scenario where I work at, it's like, now we're going to have Every day is going to be a harder day, okay? Every day is going to be like, we don't know what is going to happen, but let's expect the worst. And then people are going to be reacting more negatively toward us. Now they're not going to look at me as a white police officer or Latino police officer. No, it's a police officer. They are the enemies. And it just happened that I saw that two Hialeah police officers recently got arrested because they beat up a homeless man. It's like, what else do we need? And like you said before with the military, there's always one. They, don't we learn? But then, Jerry, I want to tell you something that is very, very important that we have to, to look at that. If you look at the average shootings or assaults that police officers do that put us in a bad place, for the most part, if you look at them, are young officers, Okay. Chavinuk, the one from Minnesota, Minneapolis, George Floyd, he was a veteran, 19 years on the job, of course, so you have to have at least 40-something years of age. Aside from that one, look at the rest of the other one that, that you see police brutality, if they want to call it like that, brutality involvement, is like younger officers. So that tells you something there. Either they're just not learning, they're just not bringing their training in, they're just not listening. And they think like the TV programs and officers that, you know, oh, this is fun. And we have all the right to take your life away from you, okay, which is true at the same time. We also have the right to take your freedom away from you. Those are two basic, very important things in a human being. However, you only do those when it's necessary and it's called for. Outside of that, we're not supposed to do to be doing it. And we're here to protect and to serve. And that's not this young generation of uh, young officers are not showing. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating 
the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.